You're listening to Your Financial Compass with Scott Vallon. These shows are designed to provide information to both pre- and post-retirees so you can make well-informed decisions about your financial future. Our Financial Compass process goes beyond traditional holistic planning. We care as much about you and your lifestyle as we do about your plan. At the Bullman Wealth Group, we want to help you define what matters most and inspire you to go and do it. Your host is Bullman Wealth Group financial advisor, Scott Vallon, who for more than a decade has made a difference in his clients' lives by providing financial leadership. Hello there, and welcome to the Your Financial Compass podcast. I am your host, Scott Vallon, and I'm excited that you're tuning in. I'm recording this in sunny Northern California in Roseville, which is just outside of Sacramento. And today we're going to tackle another topic. That's the goal of these shows is each episode we do, I want to tackle something. I want to get into a topic or topics plural and do a deep dive and really kind of discover things and hopefully share information that you find useful and that you can use in your own financial setup or you can help someone else by sharing it. But the point is, I want you to learn something today. And the topic for today is financial acronyms or financial concepts. What that means is these are five things in the financial realm that are either is either a financial phrase or term or a financial acronym. And these might be things you've heard of. Maybe you know exactly what it means. Maybe you kind of know what it means or maybe you don't know what it means. You've heard of it, but you're afraid to ask. So that's why we're going to look into them. We could probably do several shows on this going through the different terms, but I picked out five that I think are pretty uh, pretty common, and we're just going to go one by one through them. So I'll give you kind of a rundown first off. The terms are one, RMD, two, FRA, three, ETF, four, compound interest, and finally five, the 60-40 portfolio. So these are all things maybe you've heard of and I thought, why don't we tackle each one of them and kind of explain what they mean. I can't do a super deep dive into all of them because some of them will probably have their own episodes in the future, but we'll cover enough ground today that I think you will find useful. So with that said, we're going to start off with RMD. So if we spell out that acronym, it's actually a required minimum distribution. And what that means is if someone has what's called a qualified account, be it a 401k or an IRA, a required minimum distribution is when you reach a certain age, the IRS makes you take out a certain amount. And we're going to kind of walk through that. Why do they do that? What does it mean? How might it change? And uh, how has it changed up to this point? So the way it works under the current structure is like this, is if you haven't started your RMD yet, then they've changed the age to age 72. So what that means is someone that has an IRA, that has a 401k, once they hit age 72, they make you, they being the IRS, make you start taking withdrawals from your money because they want you to take it out, realize it as income, and pay the taxes. 
because in most, well, in all instances, this is money that's never been taxed. So let's kind of flesh that out. Think of John or Jane Doe. Over the years of working, they were saving money into a 401k or an IRA. And all those contributions were pre-tax. Meaning, say John Doe is making $100,000 a year and he put $10,000 into his 401k. Well, it reduced his taxable income then so that $100,000 after the $10,000 contribution becomes $90,000. So he's taxed on less. So he's saving taxes on the front end. But what happens is that money goes in, it grows over time as he's adding, you know, hopefully the investments within the account are growing, and it's deferring taxes to a future date, meaning that you don't have to pay any taxes until you start taking the money out. And a lot of times, folks that we work with, they get to retirement and they find they don't need that money as much as they thought. And that's not true in every case, but it is true in a lot of cases where it's like, well, gosh, I'm, I'm retired. Maybe I have a pension. Maybe I have Social Security. My house is paid off. I don't have as many expenses as I thought. You know, I've got all this money in this old IRA or 401k and I don't need it. Well, the IRS needs it. <laughs> they want their tax revenue from it because you've been deferring it all these years. So that's kind of part of their savings plan too. And what happened is for a long time, it was age 70 and a half. That's when someone had to start taking these distributions out. But they passed the SECURE Act, which started back at the beginning of 2020, which pushed out that retirement age, or not retirement age, but um, RMD age, out to age 72. Because you know people are living longer, the average lifespan is longer, and continues to be so. So they're trying to push it out so folks can you know, maybe hold on to that money longer. And I'm going to get to here just in a couple minutes how that's probably going to change. But remember, RMDs always deal with either a 401k or an IRA. It does not deal with a Roth IRA. You know, If you know what a Roth IRA is, that's money you put in or you put your own money, money in after it was taxed. So say you got paid, you paid your or you got your paycheck, you paid your taxes, then you made a contribution into a Roth. Well, they already got their taxes on the front end. So all the contributions plus the gains are yours to keep. Love Roth IRAs. We'll do a, an episode in the future about that. But Roth IRAs don't have RMDs. So that is something certainly to be mindful of. And that's why we do look into Roth conversions when folks retire because it's a way to get out ahead of taxes in a sense, and also, um, you know, eliminate RMDs. So, you know, I saw this stat. If, if you're born before July 1st, 1949, then your RMD age is 70 and a half. So you've probably already started taking RMDs. But if you were born after that, like I said, based off of that Secure Act 2.0, that's when you can start taking it at age 72. And I won't get into the technicalities of how they you know, determine it and exactly how you need to start taking it because that's its own episode. We'll have our own episode about that. But the last thing I want to mention about RMDs is, well, one question we get a lot is, well, how can I get around them? Unless the money is in a Roth IRA, you can't. So that's just to cut right to the, the end of the story. You can't get out, out of the way of RMDs and it's almost a necessary pain. But one thing right now, as I record this in October of 2022, is they're, tr they're going through 
both the House and the Senate, uh, the Secure Act 2.0, which is where they are actually both sides, the House and Senate have both passed their versions of it. Now they're trying to merge them. And what they're trying to do is push the RMD age out even further. So just two and a half years ago, they moved it from 70 and a half to 72. Now they're trying to get it out to age 75. And it looks like it's going to pass. You know, it's one of the few things that both sides seem to agree on. That's still things to be determined with it. But I do think that uh, the RMD age is going to change. So anyhow, we spent enough on that. That is RMD. When you hear that term, what it means is a required minimum distribution. And anyone that is in their 70s or at, at this point age 72 or older, if you have a 401k, a traditional 401k, or a traditional IRA, you have to take your RMDs. So then we move on to the second of the five things we wanted to cover today, and that is the FRA. It's known as full retirement age, and it deals with Social Security. So in a a textbook definition, it is the age when someone is entitled to 100% of their Social Security benefits. So, you know, I keep using John or Jane Doe. They've paid, they've worked for years. They've paid into Social Security. And if they wait to start taking their Social Security at their full retirement age, which is currently 67, if you're born in 1960 or later, then that's the year you start or can start your Social Security benefits and get 100% of your benefit. So some of you may know you can start it earlier than that. You know, the earliest age now is age 62, but you do get penalized in a sense because on average, you'll get about 30% less than you would get if you started Social Security at your full retirement age, which for anyone born after 1960 is age 67. So like I said, at age 67 in this case, that's when if you start Social Security, then you get 100% of your benefit. Some of you may know you can still keep deferring the benefit and it keeps increasing 8% a year till you get to your age 70. And then at that point it hits a ceiling and you, you probably should start it at that point. But for the sake of this conversation, we're talking just talking about full retirement age. And as of right now, it's 67. It used to be uh, 65 for the longest time. You might remember some folks back several decades ago, it was age 65. And they changed that rule in 1983, where they started to stagger over the next 22 years after 1983. They, you know, slowly moved that from age 65 out to age 67. I think, and this is just speculation, but my educated guess or theory, as you might call it, is that they will keep pushing that age out even further. You know, right now, full retirement age is 67. I think for the younger generations, like my kids are eight and five as I record this, I really think that they're going to push full retirement age out into the 70s. You know, there's a lot of concern. Will Social Security stick around? Will it still be around? I think that it will. But I also think for them to be able to retain the longevity of Social Security, they're going to need to keep pushing that age out. But at the end of the day, FRA, when it's mentioned, It means full retirement age, and it deals with Social Security. 
There's a million different intricacies of Social Security that we can discuss in that it will have its own podcast episode. So like I said, today I'm not deep, deep diving in everything because each one of these topics could probably have its own episode, but I just wanted to go through five different things. So right now we went through RMDs and then we went through FRAs, which is full retirement age. So those are two of the five things that I wanted to get through today as I take a sip of my coffee. I'm recording this in the afternoon, but I still need a little coffee to to keep me going. So now the next one we move to is what's called an ETF. And what that means is an exchange traded fund. So it's an investment term. You know, a lot of you have probably heard of mutual funds and many of you have probably heard of ETFs. Well, they're very similar. An ETF is a slightly more, you know, quote unquote, modern version of an investment in, in comparison to a mutual fund. So in, you know, at its most basic level, much like a mutual fund, an ETF or, ex- or exchange-traded fund, it's a pool of securities, and it trades just like a stock. So what does that mean? Well, how is an ETF different than a mutual fund? And again, they're very similar. In many instances, they're trying to accomplish the same thing. But where an ETF differs, well, let's first, first off say it's a, it's a more modern version. So mutual funds came out back, the first one was in 1924, long time ago. Meanwhile, the first ETF was the famous uh, ETF called SPY, S-P-Y, follows the S&P 500. That came out back in January of 1993, almost uh, 70 years later. So it's seven decades older or younger, actually, the ETF is than the mutual fund. So what it's trying to do, just like a mutual fund, is instead of investing in one stock, say stack, you know, Apple stock, you're able to buy in several, into several securities. Um, there might be an exchange-traded fund that follows the S&P 500. There might be one that follows the Dow Jones or one that follows you know, a, a certain sector of the technolo- technological industry. But where it differs, well, here's another thing too. A lot of times people will say the phrase index funds. Well, hey, Warren Buffett says you use index funds. Index funds is just another name for ETFs. They're kind of one and the same. I even had a client ask me that today. He's like, hey, what, what about index funds? It's like, well, you're already in them with these ETFs. It's kind of um, six of one, half dozen of the other. So one, if we go back to the comparison versus ETFs and mutual funds, mutual funds aren't quite as flexible. What it means is they aren't you know, valued and traded until the close of each trading day. Whereas an ETF is like a stock where it can change valuation second by second. So you could buy it into an ETF at the beginning of the trading day at 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 12 p.m. So it's a lot more, in my opinion, flexible than a mutual fund. And another, not in every instance, but generally, the internal costs of, a, of an ETF are a little bit less than a mutual fund. Like I said, that's not always true, but in many instances it is. So, you know, each one of these funds has their own internal fee. Generally, ETFs, you know, are a little bit more, a little less fee heavy, for lack of a better phrase. You know, a lot of you have heard of Vanguard. Vanguard really likes their ETFs. They're one of the top companies that do them. So, what that means, at the end of the day, if you hear, hear someone say an ETF or exchange-traded fund or index fund, 
That's what it is. Kind of the quick uh, three-minute Cliff Notes version. So that leaves me with two less or two topics left of the five we wanted to cover. And the next one is compound interest, which is one of my favorite things. Albert Einstein had one of my favorite quotes of all time, talking about compound interest. He said, quote, Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it, end quote. So if he says it, pretty sharp guy, Albert Einstein, that's his quote on compound interest. So another way to phrase it, compound interest is interest earned on interest. So let's use an analogy. Sometimes I'll use this with my clients where I'll tell them, imagine someone standing at the top of a mountain, a snowy mountain, and they pick up a snowball and it's a tiny snowball in their hand. They drop the snowball and it starts rolling down the mountain, getting bigger as it goes. That, to me, is an example of compound interest because that snowball gets bigger and the snow that adds on to it gets more snow added on to it and it just keeps rolling down and getting bigger, catching momentum. So that's really what compound interest is. This is compound interest for, you know, think of it this way too. A lot of my clients, their kids, they want me to talk to their kids. Their kids might be teenagers or in their 20s. And I tell these kids and say, guys, just putting a little bit of money aside in your teens or, or yeah, teens or 20s because of compound interest can make a dramatic, dramatic difference in your earnings. I'm going to pull it up right now on, um, on the internet as I say this. So there's a compound interest calculator that you can find online at the interestingly titled Money Chimp dot com uh, slash calculator slash compound interest calculator and it can show you if you put in I'm going to do it right now say a thousand dollars and I'm going to add not a penny to it and it's going to grow for the next 30 years and if it earns seven percent a year so a thousand dollars goes in grows for 30 years earning seven percent a year that one thousand becomes seven thousand you know, we use a much bigger amount, say 100000 and it becomes 761000 The point is, it is a huge thing because if you put in $100 and it earns 5%, the next year it's worth 105 But in that second year, if it earns another 5%, well, it's earning it on the 105 not the original $100 you put in. So again, at its most, most basic level, it's interest earned on interest, and it's a super powerful thing. And it's something to sit down and talk to your kids about it. If you're younger than 40 or even younger than 30 especially, sit down and run some calculations. You'll be shocked. It'll probably get you so excited you want to start saving. But I love compound interest. It's such a cool thing. I think sometimes it's misunderstood. But as Albert Einstein said, it's the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. And think of the snowball rolling down the hill example. So finally, we move to the fifth and final topic that I wanted to cover today. And like I said, this episode is all about you know, common financial terms, common financial acronyms. What do they mean? And the fifth of the five is the 60-40 portfolio. 
You see this all the time referenced online. You see it referenced on television shows, finance shows. You hear people talk about it. Some people know exactly what it means. Some you know, might be misunderstood or not know exactly, but it's very common. Hey, the 60-40 portfolio. And it really kind of hit its golden age from the 1980s up until about now. We're in 2022. Some people are starting to question it now, which I'll get to here in a second. But what it was, what it means is 60-40 means 60%. Think of someone's portfolio. 60% of what they have in a 60-40 portfolio are in equities, meaning you know, mutual funds or ETFs or stocks, something that has the ability to earn, has more volatility, but it has the ability to earn more. The remaining 40% of their portfolio is in fixed income things like bonds, be it corporate bonds, muni bonds, treasury bills, cash. So 60% is, you know, in things that can grow but have some volatility. The other 40 are in bonds, which traditionally are pretty stable. They don't earn as much, so it adds a bit of a stability factor to the 60-40 portfolio. And because bonds were really flying in a good way from the 80s up until about this year, it was such a wonderful portfolio where it's averaging arguably around 11% a year without a ton of risk, still some risk, obviously. So, you know, it's, it's been kind of the go-to for a long time. You know, some folks say it's the, the perfect setup for the quote-unquote moderate investor. You know, it's catching a little flack this year in 2022 because bonds have really suffered. You know, with inflation, interest rates going up, interest rates and bonds work inversely of each other. So as interest rates go up, bond values go down and bonds start to get more volatile. So some people say, oh, is this the death of the 60-40? Is it over? I mean, we could go on and on. We're not here to talk about that today. But the thing to take away, that, well, hey, what is the 60-40 portfolio? 60% in equities, 40% in bonds, fixed income tools. So just as a quick recap, we covered five things. What is an RMD? It's a required minimum distribution. If you have money in an IRA or 401k and you're age 72 or older, guess what? You have to take your RMD. No way around it. Uh, We covered FRA, which deals with Social Security. It's full retirement age. This is the age when you're entitled to 100% of your Social Security benefits. For anyone born after 1960, your full retirement age is 67. We covered ETFs, which is short for exchange-traded funds. Very similar to mutual funds, but as we discussed, a few minor differences. We talked about compound interest and the power of it You know, at a very basic level. It's interest earning on interest, or think of it as a snowball rolling downhill, getting bigger as it goes. And finally, we just spent a just a brief amount on the 60 portfolio. What the heck is it? It's a, you know, it is the portfolio for the quote unquote moderate investor. And it's done pretty well, maybe not so in 2022, but for the last couple or few decades, actually. So guys, we're at almost 25 minutes, about 24 exactly. I hope that you took something away today. If there's something that you want to talk to us further about, feel free to reach out to our office at office at bullmanwealth.com. So that's office at B-U-L-M-A-N wealth.com and we'll be happy to chat. If you are hearing this podcast for the first time and want to uh, get invited to our, you know, we send out newsletters, you can send the same email. Say, hey, add me to your newsletter. 
But I hope you took something useful away today. Maybe I answered a question that you had or you were afraid to ask. And really, guys, that guys and gals, that is the goal of every episode is hopefully I can teach you something that you can take away and use. If you want to talk more about it, we'd be happy to chat. But that is it for my time. Um, thank you for joining us. Tune in next time. We will have another big tackle or big topic to tackle. But thank you again. My name is Scott Milan. This is the Your Financial Compass podcast. And now we get the dreaded disclosure. Red super fast speed. Take care, folks. This show's content is for information purposes only. It is not intended to provide any tax or legal advice or provide the basis for any financial decisions, nor is it intended to be a projection of current or future performance or an indication of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Opinions expressed are solely those of Bullman Wealth Group and our editorial staff. The information contained in this material has been derived from sources believed to be reliable, but it is not guaranteed accuracy and completeness and does not purport to be a complete analysis of the materials discussed. Any statements of opinions expressed should in no way be construed or interpreted as a solicitation to sell or offer to sell advisory services to any residents of any state other than the states where otherwise legally permitted. Advisory services are offered through Chris Bowman Inc., DBA, Bowman Wealth Group, and Brookstone Wealth Advisors, registered investment advisors. Insurance products are offered and sold through Chris Bowman Inc., DBA, BWG Insurance Agency.